Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world, with the MD, Dr. DJ Verrett. Greetings and welcome to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. This week, we continue our look into private equity involvement in healthcare. Today, I'll be talking with Dr. Jane Zhu, Assistant Professor of Medicine at the Oregon Health Sciences University, about her research into private equity involvement in healthcare. We'll talk to Jane right after this. Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. We're talking to Chris Hansen today from Alliance Bank. Chris, tell us about your bank. EJ, thanks so much for having us. So Alliance Bank is a 95-year Texas-only bank. My office in McKinney services Collin County and surrounding counties. Our three primary niches I would identify are commercial real estate, residential real estate, and healthcare lending. And how can physicians learn more about the bank? My email address is chansen, which is C-H-A-N-S-E-N at alliancebank.com. And check them out on the web, alliancebank.com. Welcome back to Ask Me MD, medical school for the real world. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett, and today we're interviewing Dr. Jane Zhu of the Oregon Health Sciences University about her interest and research into private equity investments in healthcare. Jane, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in researching private equity? Sure. Uh, So I'm an assistant professor of medicine uh, at the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I am primarily a physician investigator and health services researcher by training, and I'm also a primary care physician uh, by practice um, with my own primary care clinic here in, in Oregon. Um, and so a lot of my research to date has been around healthcare markets and specifically provider incentives for care delivery changes. Uh, and I, I also look at questions surrounding access to care, quality of care, uh, and uh, delivery reform. And so, um, you know, by extension, I've become very interested in the, the reported trend of private equity acquisitions in physician medical groups, um, mostly because it's been documented in industry reports and in market reports as something that's been happening with uh, increasing uh, rapidity um, and uh, increasing reach. Um, especially in certain sorts of specialties like dermatology and um, behavioral health and orthopedics and ophthalmology, for example. And so um, my colleagues and I uh, started looking at this trend empirically using market data linked to a few other data sources to help describe who are the physicians and the, the specialties involved in these practices. And what did you find in doing that research? Sure. So um, our research was published in JAMA as a research letter in February of 2020. And it described trends in physician medical group purchases uh, from 2013 to 2016 across multiple specialties. And what we found was that uh, um, uh, among approximately 18,000 unique medical group practices um, in the United States. Uh, During that time period, about 355 physician practices were acquired by uh, private equity firms. 
Um, and those private, uh, those private practices involved over 1,400 office sites uh, and over 5,700 physicians. So quite a, a big platform. The other thing that we looked at was what were those acquired practices um, in terms of their characteristics. And what we found was that they had relatively large footprints. Um, each acquired practice had an average of four office sites, an average of 16 physicians in each practice, and six physicians uh, affiliated with each site. Um, and what we found, which was surprising, was that these acquisitions were not just happening in uh, a few of the, um, uh, you know, a few different, um, uh, a few different practices and specialties. It was actually happening across multiple specialties, uh, most often in anesthesia, uh, in ra uh, radiology, uh, hospital medicine, and a slew of other smaller specialty areas. So um, definitely documenting that this phenomenon is happening across different medical specialties with, um, you know, increasing uh, speed. Did you notice any temporal trends? Uh, you said the data set you looked at was over multiple years. Did you notice a trend in the different specialty areas over the years or an increasing number of acquisitions? Or were you able to kind of tease that out from the information you could find? Sure. Yeah, we looked at specifically 2013 to 2016. So it's fairly, it's a fairly short period. It's only three years. Um, but we did see some changes um, within those years. In the very beginning uh, of, the, of the study period, we did find a lot more private equity acquisitions of physician medical groups that were uh, multi-specialty practices, um, anesthesiology, radiology, emergency room. And then by 2015 to 2016, in the last year of our study, we saw an increasing number of acquisitions in cardiology and ophthalmology and other uh, dermatology and some of these other um, uh, specialties that have documented uh, more recent uh, acquisition uh, practices in, in their field. One of the things you had kind of touched on, and I, I know is an impediment to some of the research, is just the ability to get data. How are you able to link the physicians to the private equity backing that they had? Sure, it was a it was a, a certainly a time intensive, a labor intensive effort. Um, so we actually went into a um, data set called um, Levin MNA. Uh, healthcare data, and what they do is they they um, basically have a repository of all different mergers and acquisitions within the healthcare space, um, and it's manually validated and they update it with regular intervals. So we went and we looked at all of that data, and then we validated it through Google search, Google searches to make sure that these were in fact physician owned medical groups and that if there were any name changes that that was documented um, and to verify that they had been purchased in fact by private equity um, firms. And then what we did was we linked that data to another data set um, 
that has um, a repository of all the physician medical groups, outpatient office-based physicians and their specialties and physician characteristics and volume of patients. And we painstakingly linked each one of the um, private equity purchases to that group manually. And so that took a little bit of time. Um, what we'll, I'll say is that because of the data limitations that you talked about, empirical studies of private equity acquisitions has actually been really challenging. Um, most of the, um, the evidence that we have um, is really limited because we can't, number one, we can't keep up with the trends. Um, the data is lagging behind the speed of these acquisitions. And number two, um, a lot of these uh, uh, publicly available um, data on mergers and acquisitions um, is only what's been announced. So if there's smaller groups that have been purchased by private equity, or if it's, it's um, a private purchase, um, there's no uh, mandate to announce that publicly. And so we may be missing some of that. So that that's all to say that um, despite our, our estimates of how fast this is happening uh, and the scale to which this is happening, we still may be underestimating um, the numbers of practices that are being snatched up by private equity right now. You mentioned the Levin data set that, that showed some of the acquisitions. Did that also give you any insight into this, the monetary size of the acquisitions that you're talking about? That's a great question. Unfortunately, no. Um, our data did not look at the actual um, uh, the amounts that were involved in the in the purchases. However, there have been a couple of more recent papers that have looked at uh, or tried to look at some of that information. A lot of that is, uh, as I mentioned, opinion articles um, that have been. Uh, that have looked at amounts just based on conversations with private equity groups. Um, but it, from my knowledge, my understanding, there is a wide range. However, um, if you think about the, the typical strategy of a private equity group in terms of purchasing um, a physician practice, uh, it seems to suggest that these deals tend to be kind of bigger uh, amounts of money. And that's because a typical acquisition strategy usually involves linking um, a private equity-owned physician management company with a physician-owned medical group. And the reason that's the case is because in the United States, in most states, private equity firms are prohibited from owning physician practices. They're not allowed to be um, the owners of clinical practices because they don't have MDs or other clinical degrees. And so um, the private equity uh, strategy is usually to, to buy up a management company and then link that with a medical group. And those medical groups, uh, same as uh, what we found in our, um, in our study, they're often these large so-called platform practices that uh, have a really large footprint in terms of market reach, clinical reputation, office locations. And the private equity group, uh, group will then grow the value of that medical practice by being able to recruit more physicians or um, you know, nurse practitioners and advanced providers. Um, they'll acquire small and solo practices 
around the area to merge with this larger platform practice. And in that way, they'll be able to expand market reach. Um, they may also, uh, at the same time, um, decrease costs in various ways through care delivery changes um, by, by going to other ancillary um, services that might be lower cost, by going to other providers that might be lower cost than physicians. Um, and all of these things, um, these strategies are ways to kind of profit maximize. And a private equity investor, um, from what we know, typically sell the business to another investor um, uh, after three to seven years um, of investing in a, in a physician medical group. And they expect annual returns of, of over 20%. And so if you think about that, that's a big number and it definitely raises questions about what are the impacts on um, the, not only the physician group, but also quality of care and patient outcomes down the line if um, your expectation is for an annual return that's that high. Well, that, that actually was going to be my next question is, you know, there's a lot of talk out there about private equity acquisitions and obviously healthcare is kind of a unique area. It's not like producing widgets where you you have a product the public can or can't buy. It's up to them. Healthcare, you're dealing with people's lives. And in a lot of cases, the patients don't have a choice because of insurance constraints or emergency services. Um, has has Have you guys been able to really reach into what some of the quality metrics might be and and what happens in in any event once private equity starts acquiring practices? It's a great question, and I think that's the the million dollar one in in this field, right? Because in theory, when you have financial incentives that are that great, it it may conflict with the need for um, you know physician practices to otherwise invest in practices stability and quality and safety for patients. Um, the downside is that there has not been much in terms of empirical evidence that's been generated around this question. Um, the upside is that that work is uh, in progress. Um, there was one recent paper that was um, published in JAMA IM about a month ago, uh, probably two weeks ago, um, if I remember correctly. Um, and that was uh, looking at what happens when a uh, when private equity firms purchase hospitals. Um, and what they found was that there were differential increases um, in um, pr the private equity-owned hospitals compared to control hospitals in terms of net income and charges and case mix index, which refers to the complexity of the patient population they were seeing. Um, over the very first three years after acquisition. And that is the best um, uh, available evidence we have about what this trend is doing in terms of downstream effects. The study also looked at a few proxy measures for quality. So um, they looked at, uh, for example, um, whether people were getting aspirin after an, an MI uh, and a few other of those sorts of proxy measures and found that there was no clear indication that there was either a positive or negative net effect on quality of care. Um, what I would say about 
uh, that is that despite that being the best evidence we have right now, um, these proxy measures of quality may not reflect, um, you know, the, the deeper uh, metrics that we're trying to get to. Uh, and, and so that is certainly a work in progress. It also seems that um, metrics for inpatient they're fairly well established metrics for outpatient though could be a little bit harder since follow-up isn't quite as assured. Um, Yeah, it's a great point. I think whether the effects that they saw in terms of quality is analogous among physician practices is an open question. What I would add is that, um, you know, private equity acquisitions in healthcare um, is not a new phenomenon. It's been happening for many years Um, We know that uh, private equity actually entered um, the nursing home market um, many years ago, and there's a small body of literature that looks at what uh, happens when private equity buys up nursing homes. Um, And that literature, there's some sense that uh, quality of care is, is net neutral as well. It's kind of a controversial and inconclusive area of study because a few studies found that, for example, nurse staffing ratios went down after private equity purchased a nursing home. Um, and then at the same time, there's other studies that found that that was you know, a general trend uh, going on at the time anyway. And so um, the, the, the evidence there is fairly inconclusive in terms of um, you know, what is the effect on quality of care across these different sorts of markets? Um, and, and, and it's an area that just needs a lot more study. Um, it's, it's something that we're working on currently. So what, uh, what does your research look like in the future? What can we look forward to that you guys are, are working on? Yeah, I, I think the goal is really to try to link Um, you know, these acquisitions to claims data uh, or administrative billing data so that we can actually go in and try to figure out what the effect is on patients and delivery of care. And there's several groups, um, you know, uh, research groups that are working on similar questions. And I think very soon you'll have a little bit more information about that. Um, uh, I think in general, what we know about um, this whole trend is that uh, it's it's not um, just private equity that's coming in and purchasing up physician-owned uh, practices. The, the The fact of the matter is that there's consolidation that's happening across the healthcare market, and there's a lot of good research that's looking at what happens when um, you know a hospital chain, for example, purchases up. Um, uh, a physician medical group. The fact of the matter is, uh, there are there are fewer and fewer solo and small group practices. Um, and whether a practice is facing uh, acquisition by a private equity group uh, or a big hospital chain or a larger uh, you know practice, um, these are decisions that. Uh, practice managers and and practice physician owners are are facing every single day. And the same sorts of downstream effects may be, um, you know, possible regardless of who's buying up the the practice. Um, What we 
what's probably true is that there are good players and bad players in all of these markets. There's um, private equity firms potentially that do care a lot about maintaining clinical reputation and keeping quality of care up and making sure that um, you know the the way that the practice runs is efficient and streamlined and um, follows clinical guidelines. And then there may be private equity groups that don't do that, um, for which that's not a priority. Same uh, for you know hospital groups and and. Um, physician owners. And so um, it may be hard at this point to, to really draw a conclusion about this, um, this trend and its effects uh, across the entire um, arena. Definitely a lot more research to be done in that realm, for sure. For sure, yes. We're talking with Dr. Jane Zhu of the Oregon Health Sciences University about her research into private equity involvement in healthcare. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back with Dr. Zhu right after this. To buy your home, you became a house hunting ace. Learned about loans, scoured neighborhoods, and asked the right questions. Now you're queen of your castle. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll feel empowered to own your retirement like you own your home. Go to aceyourretirement.org. Because when it comes to clearing financial hurdles, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Ask Me MD. We're talking with Dr. Jane Zhu of the Oregon Health Sciences University about her research into private equity. As we do at the end of our segment, we're going to ask Dr. Zhu, Jane, what do you think are the top three things you would tell a physician thinking about a private equity acquisition just based on the research that you've done so far? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. And, um, you know, based on our research, we know that private equity firms are essentially interested in uh, practices across various specialties. So there's money to be made here. Um, any, any physician who's considering something like this uh, should really step back and think about, you know, what is the extent to which um, a physician owner would be willing to surrender control? Um, and, and that means control in the day-to-day -day operations, the potentially the control in clinical operations. I think uh, often um, private equity firms, because they're expecting such a great return on investment, they may want to protect their investment and, and make sure that the practices run in a, in a certain um, uh, business-like way. And there can be both positives and negatives that are related to that. And so if that's true, one of the important things for a physician group to consider is what are some of the um, ways in which a private equity firm would think about um, changing the way that the office management administration and clinical day-to-day um, -day is run? And that is something that um, you know uh, these physicians may not be accustomed to giving up control over, but um, really need to, to clarify with um, you know an investing group. Um, the other um, uh, uh, issue is you know what is um, uh, the primary way that a, a private equity firm uh, is considering expanding the practice, and that's something that. Um, really needs to be clarified as well. 
um, from our research, we know that private equity firms really come in and want to buy these large platform practices that have relatively large footprints in the community. Uh, one thing to ask them and to consider is, how would that uh, uh, be expanded if a private equity firm were to enter the picture? Would they change the way that the change the um, the, the providers that are giving uh, care uh, and go to lower cost clinicians that are not physicians? Would they expand the practice to more and more sites? Um, what are some of those trade-offs uh, that would be involved in some of those decisions? Um, and then the third, uh, and this is not something that is um, something that we looked at um, necessarily in our research, but the third uh, takeaway at a top three um, would be uh, think about kind of the, the long-term implications of selling um, the, the, your practice to a PE firm. As I mentioned, a PE firm often wants really high returns within three to seven years, and then they may turn around and sell that firm, uh, that practice again. If a physician has spent years and years um, building up a practice, making sure that they've provided really, really quality care, building up um, you know, a, a uh, patient panel that trusts them, and even recruiting really, really great associates and other younger physicians to try to take over, what are the long-term implications of having a, a PE firm come in? Um, obviously, one is that the, the physician owners might get a big lump sum uh, or they may have um, you know, a certain degree of their salary that's no longer dependent on um, clinical volume. Um, but what does that mean for the younger physicians uh, or for future physicians that they want to recruit into the firm? Uh, those are all questions to, to be thinking about and considering. The long and short of it is that there are uh, potentially positives for a private equity firm coming in um, and investing in a physician uh, practice. Um, that might include management and administrative streamlining. It may include some administrative efficiencies. Um, it may include you know, adoption of um, electronic health records and other things that might make practice easier. But there's also potential uh, downstream negative effects as well. Those are the things that we don't quite understand as well right now, but are, are definitely issues that should be uh, considered carefully um, by any physician group that's considering such a purchase. I think all of those are excellent points. Um, in, and a lot of them apply not just to private equity, but selling your practice to anyone and one that I don't hear talked about, the loss of autonomy often is, is cited uh, when you're considering selling your practice. But one that I don't hear talked about that I think is equally important is what you said, think about not tomorrow, but think about five years from now. Because when, once you sell that practice, you have no control over who the practice is going to be sold to. And, and you may end up you know, if, you, if you're a physician, I actually saw it here in Dallas where physicians joined uh, under a single tax ID in, a, in an entity. This was before kind of private equity got involved a few years ago, but under a single tax ID entity, the physicians didn't have control of the entity. The entity ended up selling to one of the local hospital systems. 
Mm. And so a lot of the independent physicians who were independent and never wanted to go to work for the hospital system all of a sudden found themselves employed by the hospital system because they were sold by somebody they had sold to. So it's yeah, uh, it's a, definitely it's a something to think point. about. Yeah, I, I definitely with any of these sorts of um, uh, you know mergers and acquisitions, uh, physicians have to be ready to surrender control and to give up some of their independence to some extent. Jane, thanks for joining us. Some a lot of good information, and in and definitely look forward to to your additional research. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what some of these outcomes look like, especially as some of these practice models end up maturing over time. Thank you so much for having me. We've been talking with Dr. Jane Zhu of the Oregon Health Sciences University about her research in private equity. I'm Dr. DJ Verrett. You're listening to Ask Me MD Medical School for the Real World. Until next time, make it an awesome week. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Ask Me MD, Medical School for the Real World with Dr. DJ Verrett. If you have a question or an idea for a show, send us an email at questions at askmemdpodcast.com. 